Uh, If you've got your Bible, please do keep it open to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to be reading back through those nine verses. Uh, That's a great way for you to make sure that what I'm saying is what God is saying. Uh, People sometimes call Australia the lucky country. I think it was a term coined by author Donald Horne. I've never read the book, but I've heard about it. And although he used the term to suggest our nation's success is due more to luck than wisdom or planning. He used the title as a critique. I think, though, we've taken it on board as a feel-good label for many Australians because we're pretty happy-go-lucky, aren't we? We say, what's our national greeting? We say, g'day, because we assume that the day's going to be good. Even in times of adversity, we say, she'll be right, mate. So it may come as a surprise that last year, the Lowy Institute surveyed Australians and the finding of their survey is that Australians are less optimistic. We have less hope for the future than in their previous surveys. We are anxious about the future of the economy. We're troubled by the ways not only our own nation but how other nations are going. We're concerned about the prospects for our environment. I wonder if that's something you resonate with. What do you think about the way things are going? How do you feel about how your life is going? Are things looking up? Do you have hope? Well, today we're listening to God speak to us through these first few sentences of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a letter written to Christians who have every reason to give up hope. They've got every reason to give up hope, but it's written for them and for us to give us reason for hope. Uh, 1 Peter was written by a bloke called Peter. Uh, This is the same Peter who used to be a fisherman Uh, until one day he was found by Jesus. And Jesus called him and said, stop catching fish, start fishing for people. Uh, Peter followed Jesus for three years. He saw the miracles. He heard Jesus teach. He's the bloke who had the habit of speaking first and thinking later. He's the disciple who, when the chips were down... Three times he denied knowing Jesus. That's the bloke who wrote this letter. But denying Jesus three times wasn't the end of his story. After Jesus rose from the dead, Peter became an apostle, sent by Jesus to tell the world that he is the risen and reigning Christ. That's what it means to be an apostle. And you can see all of this packed into the start of verse 1. So have a look. If you've got a Bible there, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Peter is writing this letter, and he's writing it to Christians living in what we now call Turkey. Uh, When you write a letter or an email, you normally write the letter to the person Uh, You put the name of the person you're writing to. You know, you say, hi, Fran, or hi, Bob. That's how we normally start letters. But not Peter, because he's not writing to one person, but he's writing to a group of persons, a group of churches. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just list all the places he's writing to. He goes on to describe who these people are, who they really are, uh, who they are 
because of the gospel of Jesus. Have a listen as verse 1 continues. To God's elect exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So those place names, you can see them up there on the screen, uh, they're regions of what we now call Turkey. And one of the cool things is some of these places are also listed in Acts chapter 2. On the day the Holy Spirit was poured out, on the day when 3,000 people repented and, and were baptised, on that day there were Jews from Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Uh, Peter gave his first sermon that day. And now he's writing to Christians and maybe some of those people who first read this letter could remember being there at Pentecost. And they would have gone home, back up to Turkey, after hearing the gospel and receiving the Spirit, and they would have begun telling people about Jesus. And so I reckon the churches who got this letter would have had a mixture of Jewish and Gentile believers, and Peter packs all of this into his first sentence. This bit of the letter where normally you write, G'day so-and-so, he can't help but just pack in a whole bunch of gospel truth. Do you see there, he says that these Christians are elect. They've been chosen for salvation by God. Now, that might sound a bit odd. We're going to come back to that in a moment. And they're exiles. Uh, this means something It's a bit like being a refugee. It's those who've either fled a country because of war or been captured and taken away because of war. So exiles are people who live somewhere, but it's not really their home. Uh, some translations go for strangers or pilgrims. I actually think that might be a better translation, though there is a bit of poetry, isn't there, in elect exiles. Now, I don't reckon these Christians are literally exiles or literally refugees. What Peter is saying is, because of Jesus, this world is no longer their home. Also, don't worry if that sounds a bit strange. We're going to come back to that in a moment. All right, so the people, the believers Peter's writing to, have been chosen by God, and where they live is not really their home. Why is this the case? Why are Christians elect exiles? Why are believers in Jesus chosen pilgrims? Well, there's three reasons given in verse 2. The first is, if you believe in Jesus, it's because you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, this cannot just mean that God knows the future. It can't just mean that God's looked into the future and he sees those who would one day in the future repent and believe. Because that would empty the word elect or chosen of any meaning. It also wouldn't make any sense of what we're about to read in verse 3. Verse 3 says, God gives believers, God gives believers new birth. You can't birth yourself. No one can will themselves to have life. New birth only comes by God. 
It is God the Father who foreknows, who gives life, who chooses. So that's the first reason Christians are elect exiles. Uh, The second reason is believers in Jesus are marked out by the Spirit. We're marked out by the Spirit. What distinguishes Christians, what marks out Christians from the rest of the world, what makes believers, exiles, pilgrims, strangers in this world is that we are sanctified. Big word, it just means we are set apart, we are marked out or we are holy. We are marked out as God's people because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we've got two reasons so far. Reason number one, God the Father's foreknowledge. Reason number two, the Spirit's sanctification. And reason number three, the reason why Christians are strangers in this world is because we obey Jesus and Jesus cleanses his people from sin. Uh, The law of Moses says... Uh, Sorry, the Lord of Moses said, if you uh, contract leprosy, when you get better, a priest would sprinkle blood on you seven times to mark out that you were once again clean and could rejoin the people of God. That is what Jesus does for his people. Not that we've got leprosy, but by his, his blood, by his death for us, it means that we can once again be part of God's people. So this obedience to Jesus, the sprinkling of Jesus' blood, makes Christians stand out as strangers and pilgrims. Instead of obeying the world, we obey Jesus. Instead of being found unclean, Jesus cleanses his people. That's just the first two verses. There is so much in these first two verses. I haven't even mentioned, did you notice, the triunity of God? But that's in these two verses too. The Father's foreknowledge, the Spirit making holy, the Son as Lord and his purifying blood. There is so much. It's only two verses. We're going to get to the end of verse 9. But the focus, look, it's easy to get your head blown by all this stuff that's in here, but the focus of these verses is what we receive. If you are trusting in Jesus, what we receive when we are in Christ. The benefits that come to you and me through Jesus. But we're going to keep moving on because what Peter says next expands on those two verses. What has he said in summary in those first two verses? He expands in the following seven. He helps us understand what God has done for his elect exiles, his chosen strangers. And what has God done? God has shown us mercy. Mercy is not getting the punishment, the judgment we deserve. And the mercy God has shown is, although we deserve death, through Jesus' resurrection, he gives his people new life. And although we deserve to have no future, no optimism, no hope, because of Jesus, God gives his people hope. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we went into the new birth earlier. That's something that only God can do. You can't birth yourself. What Peter is also saying with this idea of the new birth is that when you are in Christ, you get a whole new life, a new identity. 
Uh, Your identity is pretty closely tied up to your birth. Uh, The reason that you look the way you do is pretty much because of how your mum and dad look. Uh, Many of your behaviours, the way we speak, uh, the decisions we make about money or friendships, so much of that comes from our parents. Even if we reject our family of origin, we distance ourselves from them, often the way that we reject our family is in a way shaped by our family, our birth. In Christ, we have a new birth, a new father, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a new life, a new birth, and this comes from God, and so we praise him because we get to share in the family resemblance. And you see that this is linked to Jesus' resurrection. Just as Jesus got new life, resurrection life through death, well, when we are joined to Jesus, his story becomes our story. His new life becomes our new life. But the good news is we don't have to wait before we die, before we get the new life. It begins now. Right now, those in Christ are born again. Believers in Jesus, we receive our new birth through Jesus' resurrection. And this gives hope. True hope, living hope. Because just as God the Father, through the Spirit, raised Jesus to life again, which gives Jesus living hope, the new birth that Jesus gives, that God gives his people, gives us a new identity, a new future, and a new hope. And we've got this living hope because, as we heard in verse 2, because of Jesus' blood, we've been sprinkled clean. Sin is washed away. And so instead of our future being death and judgment, in Christ, our present is a new birth and the future is resurrection and life everlasting. And also because in Christ there is a new family, a new hope, it means that we've also got a new home. So verse 4 packs all of that in. Verse 4, the sentence continues, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Uh, In the Old Testament, the inheritance was the land, the land of Canaan. Did you hear that in Psalm 16 we read earlier? The lines of the inheritance have fallen in pleasant places. The idea is the land is good, it's beautiful. But this idea of the inheritance that we read about here in 1 Peter, it's not a bit of dirt, It's not a bit of dirt in the Middle East. It's not even a bit of dirt here in Bagara. The bit of of dirt that Israel's inheritance was, was a shadow. What 1 Peter is talking about is the reality. That was the promise. This is the fulfillment. That was an earthly inheritance, but it pointed towards a heavenly and spiritual inheritance. And because it's spiritual, it won't suffer the fate of the earthly one. Part of the big story of the Bible is that even though God gave this inheritance to his people, he gave them this land as their inheritance, because of their sin, 
because they turned their back on God, on the God who loved them and freed them and gave them this inheritance. Because of their sin, the land and the inheritance was spoiled and its glory faded. That's what happened to the inheritance of God's people that we read about in the Old Testament. But even if you don't know the Old Old Testament background, it's the same with the inheritances that we might be familiar with. Uh, In Gympie, lots of people, not lots, but a number of people, have inherited the family farm. The land that they live on has been in the family and passed down for a couple of generations. And because of that, the land has lots of memories for them. It's precious to them because of that. Not just because they didn't have to pay for it, it's precious because of the memories and the family ties. But that inheritance will perish spoil and fade. The house Grandpa built is actually no longer inhabitable. It's an uphill battle against the weeds. Often the soil has been degraded because of poor management for generations. It's actually not much of an inheritance. But in Christ, if you've been born again through his resurrection then God gives us a spiritual inheritance, a heavenly inheritance, because our Father is the eternal God. And do you know what this means? It means for Christians, this world is not our home. That's what it means to be elect exiles. That's what it means to have a heavenly inheritance. This world is not our home. I reckon for lots of the people this letter first went to, I reckon for lots of them, they'd probably always lived in Pontus or Galatia. They were locals. They were born in the same town they now lived. Their parents and great-great-great-great-grandparents had been born there. They were real locals. But no longer. Because of Jesus, they are no longer locals, they are strangers. They are pilgrims, they are visitors. Their inheritance is no longer in Asia Minor, it's in heaven. I reckon they needed to hear that when they first got that letter. Brothers and sisters, I think we need to hear this too, don't we? We are not first and foremost Queenslanders or Australians no matter where you were born, no matter how many of your generations of your family have lived in this region, if you are a Christian, you are not a local. Right now, we are living in exile. We are pilgrims. The old word, uh, word for this is sojourners. As beautiful as this part of the world is, and it is astoundingly beautiful, this is not our home. This is not our inheritance. We are not locals, we are strangers. And I think this is a great comfort. If you're someone who's always moved around, you feel like you just don't have roots anywhere, there's kind of nowhere that's home for you, this is comforting. This world is not meant to feel like home. You have a home, it's with our God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And even if you have lived here all your life, 
guess what? It no longer feels like home either, does it? It's, it's unsettling because this place is always changing. There are new developments and new subdivisions. Everywhere you go, you remember the building that used to be here when you were growing up or when you first moved here. Well, the good news is, if you are in Christ, your hope, your identity, your joy is not and cannot be tied up to anywhere but our heavenly inheritance. Because this world is changing and one day will perish and be made new. But our heavenly home is protected and shielded by God. Verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You might think your home is going to last here forever because it's got strong foundations and a steel frame. But concrete crumbles and steel rusts. You might think your money is safe in banks until the bank collapses. Or you might not trust banks and you hide all your cash under the mattress. It might feel secure, more secure than banks, until someone breaks in and steals it or inflation makes it worthless. But our heavenly inheritance is shielded by God. That's right, it's shielded by God. And if God is guarding it, it is safe. And you see, how does God guard the inheritance? He guards it through faith, through protecting our faith in the Lord Jesus. And what's his goal? What is he guarding it for? God is guarding his people until salvation is revealed, until the day Jesus returns and makes all things new and leads us into the inheritance, the new heavens and the new earth. This is a big vision for life. It's a big vision that gives us hope, hope that is secure in God, hope that is brought about by Jesus. We have every reason for hope. But right now, things aren't always so sweet. Verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Everything we have in Jesus, everything we've read about in the first five verses should give us great joy but does that mean that if you're a Christian and you feel sad, does that mean there's something wrong with you? Should Christians always be smiling, always happy all the time? No. God has not promised a pain-free life for his people. God has not promised you'll always be healthy, always be wealthy, always happy. The Bible says Christians will go through all sorts of difficulties, suffer all kinds of trials. And all kinds means all kinds. Uh, persecution for being a Christian is a big theme in 1 Peter. You read the whole letter, it, that's where he's going being attacked, being picked on, being unjustly treated because of Jesus, that is a kind of trial. 
And right now, in 2021, Christians are arrested, disowned by family, not given work. We just prayed for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, China, all around the world. People suffer simply for being Christian. And that is one kind of suffering. And sometimes we think, well, unless I'm suffering like that, well, I can't really complain. I'm not really going through trials. No, all kinds means all kinds. It means the grief of mourning the loss of loved ones. It means the trials of sickness or losing a job or relationships tearing apart. And you could just keep growing, couldn't you? Listing all the trials we go through as we follow Jesus. And until Jesus comes again, we will suffer all kinds of trials. And you might think, well, that's it then. That's, we've got no reason for hope. All we've got in front of us is trials. But because God is guarding us, the result of suffering shows God can be trusted. Verse 7, these have come, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Uh, when the economy is shaky, uh, some people start buying gold. Uh, cash might end up worth nothing. Bitcoin will plummet when China makes a change in its policy. But most of the time, gold retains its value. Gold is worth nothing. Gold is worth nothing in the face of eternity. In the face of eternity, the only thing worth anything is God's promises. The only hope worth having is God's promises. The only thing worth anything is faith in God. When Jesus returns and gathers his people home, the whole universe will see God's power. It's going to be revealed to all creation that God is able, that God is able to save his people that his promises are sure, and that's going to pay off better than bullion. And this is why Christians love Jesus and have hope and joy even when life is tough. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy... For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Remember who it was who wrote this letter? Uh, Peter. A bloke who had seen Jesus and loved Jesus. But when Peter thinks about the believers in Asia Minor, when he thinks about believers like you and me, he says... You also know what it's like to love Jesus. Why do we love Jesus? Because of who he is and what he's done for us. He is the one who died to secure an inheritance for you. That is where our hope lies. Uh, when our family lived in Brisbane... 
Uh, there was a tremendous woman at our church. I'll call her Mrs. Tiggy. That's not her real name. Uh, Mrs. Tiggy was a widow. And by the time I got to know her, uh, cancer had taken hold. When she was well enough to join us at church, she was such an encouragement. I remember her saying to me more than once, my body is riddled with cancer. I'm in constant pain. The medicine is poison. Please keep preaching imputed righteousness. I know that's a big word. She loved big words, so I'm going to say it. Please keep preaching imputed righteousness. It's a big word, but it just means that in Christ we are right before God, washed clean of our sin. To use the language of 1 Peter, Mrs. Tiggy would say, I'm going through the great trial of my life. Please keep reminding me of my hope and joy that God has given me new life and he is my father. That the spirit has set me apart and made me holy. That the son's sprinkled blood has purified me before God. She had no more hope in this life. But that was her hope. And that is our hope. No matter what trials come. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that is desperate for hope, desperate for something to look forward to, something that will bring joy that lasts, something that you can have confidence in. The economy, politics, the environment, these things will never bring lasting hope. The only sure and certain hope is found to be secure in the foreknowledge of God the holiness of the Spirit, and to follow Jesus who purifies us. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. We praise you for who you are and what you have done in the Lord Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. We praise you for the new birth you give in Jesus, for the secure heavenly inheritance for your people. We praise you because these things are sure, not because of anything we do, but because of your power. Please help us to be people of hope. May we stand out in our world, especially when we're going through trials, because our hope is fixed in Jesus. Help us live as people whose inheritance is in heaven. Amen.